0: And welcome to Awesome Etiquette,
1: where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
0: On today's show, we take your questions on being the entertainment for your friend's children, expressing your desire not to exchange gifts, the etiquette on saying you're welcome, and a follow-up question to the Christmas card conundrum from last week.
1: For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about mispronouncing names.
0: All that plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a Postscript segment where we discuss the table setting.
1: All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute.
0: I'm pretty sure I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm pretty sure you
1: are too. And I'm Dan Post setting. (laughs)
0: I'm glad two of us are at least, you know, I don't know what you're pretty sure equates to as a as a percentage, but I'd say mine's like maybe 83%. I'm like 83% sure I'm me today.
1: I, I thought it was affirming, and then I realized I didn't say confident. I said pretty sure.
0: <laughs> oh, audience, Dan and I are both in, in the zone. We are in working the zone. hard right now. <laughs> I woke up at 3 a.m., and I was like, you know, I bet this is Dan. I bet Dan is like, I bet Dan's awake and he's, he's like already working on the, on the website and the my back end of the website woke getting ready you up for your anxiety woke me. Yeah, because it has gone the other way before <laughs> where my anxiety has woken Dan up before. <laughs> um, but it it is, we've got, Kelly and I are about to embark on our last push to turn in the manuscript for, <laughs> ooh, hi Sonny making himself known. turn in our manuscript for The Mistakes Were Made book, the Audible original book about all the incredibly awkward and salacious and sometimes not quite so dramatic <laughs> awkward moments
1: that we all have. And funny, have. right? Funny moments?
0: It is. It's This is a book to laugh at. This is a... Cha- every story that was given... I might have to take care of Sonny in a second. But every story that was given to us was given to us with a lot of good humor. Um, you know, people who feel good about delivering such a story and laughing about what happened um so it's gonna be a really fun weekend but it's also gonna be that you know here we go here we go here we go just gotta get it done gotta get it done but then it'll be done on monday (laughs)
1: Deadline work with another author. I am rooting for you.
0: Thank you, because in the middle of it, you're going to be doing a whole ton of work on the back end of our website, because we, ladies and gentlemen, are very close to launch.
1: Oh, we got a peek. We got a little peek. The web team shared with us the mobile version of the site, which they spent the last week sort of marking up and installing, and Lizzie Post and I took a look at it and we were supposed to get on a call um in 30 minutes with the the web team and we literally could do nothing but ooh and ah for 30 minutes as we flipped around our new mobile website it is really exciting there is still a ton of work to be done but it's i've got this combination of emotions where i'm just like elated and ecstatic and slightly terrified all at the same time (laughs) Well,
0: it is. It's a ton of work. It's a lot of detailed work. We're probably going to need our audience to tell us about the typos that we've made and things like that. We are so incredibly excited. When we were looking at, as Dan was telling you, when we were looking at uh, the mobile version of the site, we just kept going, oh, this is what we've always wanted. I could, you know, get lost reading article after article after article. Like, it's, it's got that feel and that ease, and, and we were blown away. We literally just saw this yesterday for the first time, so we are still kind of geeking out on it because that's what – that's what we do. We geek out on things.
1: <laughs> and frankly, there is still so much work to be done. It's nice to ride the enthusiasm and the excitement just a little bit. I'm sort of surfing that wave till, uh, till our next <laughs> Do it, because
0: it'll carry it through the weekend, you know? And this is a lot of work we got to get done by Monday and Tuesday.
1: It is certainly a crunch. and But there's also this little sort of carrot reward out there. A lot of these deadlines come up just ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. So mm-hmm. if we do it, if we hit them... What I'm when, really hoping: when,
0: when we hit him when we hit him when we hit him
1: <laughs> There should be a really nice moment of reprieve where we get to sit back and enjoy both uh, a little bit of a holiday ourselves but also get to enjoy the site being up and available for people on Thanksgiving, which is just such a treat. There would be a what do they give a marathon runner when they, they get to the finish? You get the chocolate milk? a
0: medal. Oh, chocolate milk at the end, yeah.
1: I'm thinking chocolate milk, but a metal would be nice.
0: (laughs) I'm thinking champagne. With that thought, though, do you think that we should get to our other work before we dive into our other work and deal with some questions?
1: Let's do it.
0: Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave a voicemail or text at 802 858 KIND. That's 802 858 5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show.
1: Our first question this week is about accidental babysitters. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Trying my best to condense this question but get you all the info. My husband and I are in our early 30s and have a tight knit group of friends who have become our pod during quarantine. We have all agreed to socialize only with this friend group and isolate at home if any of us are exposed to a positive COVID case. In this friend group, my husband and I are the only couple that has chosen not to have children. The children are all very well behaved and we love them so much but feel we have accidentally become the entertainment for them at group get-togethers. As soon as we arrive at the barbecue, all of the children get excited and run to us and want to show us their new toys, and we end up spending the majority of our social time with the kids, as the parents do not intervene to ask them to leave us alone. How can we politely explain to our friends that although we love their cute kiddos, we would like to be able to socialize with the adults over a glass of wine, not throwing frisbees with their kids? We have started to decline some get-togethers because they have become exhausting, not relaxing. And I don't want our friends to feel as though we are pulling away. We recently were invited to rent a large cabin in Tahoe with this friend group over the winter. And I would like to politely decline under the circumstance that we don't necessarily want to spend our vacation funds on this outing if it means we will be hanging with the children the entire trip. Help from the accidental babysitters.
0: Oh, accidental babysitters. I think Dan and I have each been in this position at various times in our lives. Can you remember back to your single singledom, Dan, (laughs) your non-kiddom? I can. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It it wasn't that long ago. It was was longer
1: (laughs) than the other state I've been in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But um, this is a thing that can happen. You're the cool, fun adult. You know, that actually, like, yeah, you're the different, that's a big thing. You're different from mom and dad who they've been stuck with a lot lately. And then also, if you are the type of adult that puts on a bright smile for a kid and, you know, is kind of cool in a kid's eyes or something like that, or just is willing to talk to them or toss a frisbee with them, they will come back for more. You're a valuable part of their social scene then. And I know I can remember back to, uh, people in our family who they, they weren't the people that you would go up to, at, you know, and, and try to talk to and hang out with or get to do a joke or, or perform a little dance routine for or, you know, just eat up all their attention. They were a little grumpier, a little stiffer. And they, in my eyes as a kid, they weren't as cool then. You know what I mean? And I, I don't want you to have to turn into that just to get your adult life among your social circle back. And I don't think you have to.
1: It's a it's a practical answer and yet it's not a fun answer. To be, be less fun for the kids is something that you would have a lot of control over, something you could do. and. It might not feel quite right. So, what else are some possibilities? I'm I'm wondering, Lizzie. I'd been thinking about our classic tiered approach. That you you might crack a wall where a parent just wasn't seeing this happening with with some really little kind of hints here and there. Oh, boy, just w- when the kids run off to the other room for a minute, it's so nice to get a quiet moment just with you. I really treasure that. Focusing on the positive, not making it about the disruption, but about all of the things that you enjoy about adult get-togethers and the opportunities that provides for you both to connect in adult ways, but also just behave and feel like an adult. Like you say, enjoy that glass of wine, be calm, whatever it is that that you're not going to do when you're rolling around with the kids
0: okay 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 I'm I'm both liking the hint because it's subtle and it's gentle it's kind of like that soft polite space but let's be real there's a lot of people and I I don't know whether I want to say that they just don't pick up the hint or whether they know you're hinting and they willfully ignore it because they're so relieved to have a break.
1: (laughs) I know. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind.
0: It's a good thing to keep in mind. But what would you do if you had to escalate it?
1: Well, absolutely. This is a tiered approach. And the the reason I sort of start off with that really subtle approach is that might be all it takes. There might be a parent who sort of is aware of this dynamic and they're kind of just letting it be because... It's nice. It's nice to not <laughs> be so engaged all the time. And this feels like an adult moment for them to have a little reprieve. Yeah, Absolutely. That hit might just be enough to, to kick it back in, reengage. It might not be. And as you point out, it might be that they're either really not aware of it at all or that just for whatever reasons, they're not capable. There's more kids than they can manage. It just doesn't work out. It's not feasible. Saying something more directly I think starts to be important, starts to be part of clear communication. I really love that the kids are here and I really treasure my time with all of you as adults. And I really want to see if we can focus on making that happen more is is a totally reasonable thing to say. And again, I, I, I would, my sample script started to sound a little intense to me even in tone. Normal. Yeah, but if you can keep it light, focus on the positive, the things that you really treasure about that company. Yeah. That's a really reasonable um, request or ask to make of a group.
0: I feel like, and Dan, the dad, tell me if I'm if I if this wouldn't be a good approach. But I feel like a good approach to the parent would be to say, "Boy, I'm I'm really valuing the time that we, you know, as our little pod gets together. I'm valuing the the time to to socialize with other adults and friends." I know the kids really love playing with Mike and me, but is there any way you could help us redirect them to play with the other kids so that we could really spend time with you guys during this like i feel like you could like that sounds tell, really well, good to okay, me okay does guys. it okay yep. i realize i started that asking you for your opinion and then just gave my own right after
1: No i started to but... listen to you as a dad of kids who's heard things like that from people okay, and cool. i'm thinking oh, yeah, no totally I, let me let me grab them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right so like here's a place where that can fail right is when you you do go the route of being like um I don't know if you've noticed, but you really let the kids play with the two of us the entire time that we're really here to socialize with adults Eh,
1: for. Buzzer.
0: Eh, Like, not going to work. That's kind of a shaming... It's kind of like I'm showing my annoyance about it rather than talking to you about what I really need help with. And it can be really easy when you want someone to change something or handle something that, frankly, they should because their children are their responsibility. But it's... It's showing that annoyance, I think, is what I think just makes it a less pleasant experience for all involved. It's like you've already got something where you have to you've got to tell somebody, hey, your kids are you know taking up a lot of my time, which I don't think anybody ever wants to hear, you know, and delivering it without that tone or that attitude or that kind of judgment of you should have noticed this, you should have been stepping up before. Um, I think is really key to getting this right.
1: We've really focused on uh, conversations between the adults here, and mm-hmm. in some ways, I think that's the the subtler etiquette territory because you're talking about people that are responsible for people but aren't actually those people and it's it's a good approach but in the spirit of our postscript from last week where we looked at the emily post title children are people. children are people (laughs) i'm really also interested in exploring a little bit the way you could interact in an age-appropriate way with kids and let them know that you have some boundaries and that you want some time with the adults or that you're not available at that moment. Because I think that's another way to go that, frankly, is, is, puts a lot more of the control in in your hands as far as managing that relationship with the kids rather than that trickier territory or etiquette space of talking to the responsible party for those <laughs> children.
0: So sample script that that I would lean towards. And Dan, I am pretty sure I've actually seen you do this in action because you've got a pretty good kid voice when you're talking to kids. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and you should put on that positive kid voice and say like, oh, you know, I'm going to talk with your mom now or I'm going to go chat with the grownups for a bit. But I bet and then name two other kids at the party, would love to play with you. Or why don't you go see what so-and-so's doing? Try not to name another adult, but encourage the kids to keep playing, keep doing things. You know, you kind of want to move them along from the disappointment of your no to a fun thing that they might be able to go engage with.
1: If it was something you were willing to do, maybe we could sit down after dinner and read that favorite book <laughs> or something, you know, uh, provide yeah. structure for them. Kids love structure. And if they knew that they were going to get some uh, sort of a, uh, a well time demarcated you. time mm-hmm. with you it can be something they look forward to. It becomes uh an event in the night for them, and you get totally. to define your kid time as lasting ten minutes <laughs> or whatever whatever it is that. That is OK with you.
0: So what about this potential vacation that we've got going? Because these these are good hints for the in the moment, the backyard barbecue, you know, with the pod that you're hanging out with. But, but what about this longer? I mean, there's money on the line for this. This is your vacation.
1: There's enough money. There's enough time that I, I personally would want to keep control of what I could control in this situation. That's whether or not you want to participate. And it might be that... A shared vacation home with other families that all have kids isn't a relaxing vacation for you, isn't a good use of your time and money resources. That's one thing that can really give you some some security in terms of it's, it's okay to make that choice for mm-hmm. – uh, I don't want to call them like subtle reasons, but for reasons just of taste. Just it would be a more relaxing vacation for me to do something different. If you wanted to, you could have discussions with people ahead of time about what Mm -hmm. their plans are for handling kids when you're in shared spaces together and get a feel for how those conversations go before you make a decision about whether or not you want to participate or not.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense because if you – you might have these tactics that we've talked about today go really well once or twice. But do you want to be doing them for a week straight or a long weekend straight? You know, it's a, it's a good thing to think about that this is, this is really kind of a different setting and, and a, a bigger conversation or a more
1: explicit conversation might be necessary. And as far as the decline, I wouldn't get into the details of it a whole, whole lot. Sometimes yeah. with a no or a breakup, it's easier just to say the thing and not get into all of the details about exactly why it's not working for you.
0: And not that you're breaking up with your friends, but just this particular vacation might be the the one. Accidental babysitters, we hope that this helps you find a balance and that you can continue to have a great time with your pod.
1: But once the young adults understand that their parents are people, people with habits, moves, and a right to live their own life. And when the parents realize how important it is for the young adults to manage their own affairs... Then they can deal with each other as mutually respecting individuals. And their relationships will be healthier and happier.
0: This question is titled, Gift-Giving Grinch. Tis the season. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thanks for brightening up my Monday every week with your wonderful podcast. I'm hoping you can help me navigate the upcoming Christmas season by answering a question about gifting. I am more than happy to give gifts on occasions such as weddings and the births. But as an adult, birthday and even Christmas gifts feel excessive and unnecessary. I very much appreciate the thought behind them. But for various reasons, including environmental and monetary costs, I would prefer to show my love for friends and family in other thoughtful ways. To me, gift exchanges often feel like a burden, an obligation, especially at the holidays and with birthdays, when they are expected rather than spontaneous. I also feel anxiety over giving someone a gift they do not like or something they already have. When I do give gifts, I give experiences rather than physical items. But often the gifts I receive are items I do not need, and I feel guilty about not feeling as appreciative as I should. So I guess I have a couple questions. First, if I receive or expect to receive a gift on these occasions, should I always reciprocate or is showing my appreciation with a note or an in-person thank you sufficient? And is there a tactful way I can express my desire not to exchange gifts or at least my preference for experiential gifts instead of physical ones? Thankfully, the inadvertent Grinch. Oh boy, here come the holidays, right? I know. No, this is this is these are very classic gifting questions.
1: They are. And I, I wanna start off by just saying, don't brand yourself a Grinch even though we've labeled this question gift-giving Grinch. (laughs) Um, It it is. It's such a powerful uh, uh, sort of character in literature, the Dr. Seuss Grinch. Nishu loves him. Um, And I think the reason that character speaks to us is that there is a certain part of us that probably, even those of us that love giving and receiving gifts, deals with some of the anxieties, stresses, and pressures that you're talking about here. And that can be tricky. Fortunately, this is something that happens so much. Gift giving is such an important part of relationships that there is a lot of good etiquette that can guide us. And I really appreciated you driving to some specific questions. I want to start off just by addressing those specifically. (laughs) Um, Lizzie Post is about to stand up and cheer when I say very clearly, um, gift giving is not uh, always reciprocal, that it is not a given that if someone gives you a gift, you have to respond with a gift from them. In fact, That would be incredibly difficult, almost impossible to achieve.
0: Mm -hmm. It's very true. I'm keeping quiet over here, but it is very true.
1: (laughs) And there is, uh, I think, a natural sense of fairness and reciprocity that I think inspires people to think about gift giving as exchanges, even if there's something like, oh, well, it's on my birthday. I just receive gifts, but I also participate in the giving of gifts on other people's birthdays. There is this sort of reciprocal social Um, thing that happens often, but it's it's not expected. You can't anticipate where every gift you're going to receive comes from, and it's not always possible for you to respond to everything that you receive with a gift. And those practical realities mean that it shouldn't ever be an expectation in someone's mind that gift-giving is always reciprocal. The other thing from an etiquette perspective, really core fundamental etiquette that I think about is... That when you give a gift, it should be given in a spirit of generosity. It should be about wanting to do something for someone else. There shouldn't be any part of your internal psychology that is expecting a gift in return. And that's that's tough. <laughs> um, but really gift giving should be done with true open heartedness. So if it's not something that you feel you can participate in like that, I think it's also – a part of core etiquette to really think about what is the sincere or honest way for you to proceed. And I think that's going to come up when we talk about your second direct question.
0: So for that second question, you asked, how can I talk to people about this? How can I express my desire to not exchange gifts? I think that if it's something like an office or a group that you're a part of gift swap, that you can just ask that you'd love to bow out or not participate in this one and that's okay. Lots of people do do that during the holidays. If it's something instead like trying to communicate the type of gift you would receive, so maybe it's around the holidays and we're talking with people that you are really close with. I don't I don't want to set expectations that that parents and siblings always gift to each other, but it's it's pretty standard. And maybe among those, that group that's kind of your core, really closest people that, that you would be exchanging gifts with. It is absolutely fine to talk to people about your preferences. I have a gift receiver in my life and I don't think of them as picky in any way, but they are particular and they spend a lot of time sort of curating and keeping a really clean, um, and aesthetically pleasing to them home. I know better than to try to get this person a vase or a picture frame or something that's going to go in their home. I almost always do something experiential or, you know, uh, that can be like a consumable or something like that. And I think it's fine to talk about that. When people ask you or when the, the, the idea of holidays and holiday gifting comes up, you can say, oh, you know, there's something I've really been trying to do, and part of it actually does fit into my my philosophy about the environment and how to take care of the environment. I I would really like to be only receiving experiential gifts at this point whenever possible. And I think giving in that whenever possible kind of softens it so that you kind of understand that there might be some times where someone chooses to bestow generosity upon you and you have no choice about it. And so you end up with an item that you weren't necessarily thinking of getting. But I think you can have those conversations among your groups. Where I think it's a little harder is when you start branching out the social circle and you're into that birthday category, I personally believe that once you're kind of in that adult range, cards for birthdays are fine, that there's no expectation of of gifts. And I might be wrong. Maybe this is just how my friend group and family tend to operate. But as an adult among friends, it's often something very small or very sweet. You know what I mean? In nature, as opposed to significant or uh, obligatory at all, really. Um, What do you think about the adult birthdays?
1: Absolutely. For In my experience, also, big caveat, adult birthdays, between people that aren't very close family, a card is sort of considered a really nice gesture. Even that is... um, (laughs)
0: True, true.
1: Someone making an effort on my behalf. (laughs) Totally. And I also know that oftentimes birthdays are great opportunities. People do buy things for each other also. So I like your idea about expectation setting and... Um, having these discussions in a way that's broad, the the real, for me, critical etiquette advice that you have those discussions ahead of time, not after, mm-hmm. that um, any of this work that you can do as preparation with people is going to be so much better received and you're going to be in so much safer etiquette territory. Once the gifting has happened, then there is only one correct etiquette reply, which is you thank someone for the effort and the thought that they put into it, even if – the disposable good that you received isn't something you even want um, There, there is an etiquette and I don't want to call it obligation but it's it's a role that you can play that is so important to relationships in being appreciative of someone making the effort that I would strongly suggest that you think of that as a role that you want to play so you do your work ahead of time so that you don't end up in that situation and I really do also key on your intention to be honest here yeah. and that is a core tenet for good etiquette so have those honest conversations but have them far enough ahead early enough that you give people the warning that they can that they can digest that and make good choices about their relationship with you
0: and gifting <laughs> mm-hmm. inadvertent grinch we hope our answer helps and that you have a very merry gift-free season this year but how did you know? I mean, it's the very one I wanted. Eddie he seemed to know what you wanted. He insisted we get that particular one. Eddie, you knew all the time. Our next question is titled, You're welcome versus thank you for having me.
1: Hi, A.E. team. Love listening to your show. I find you both witty and charming and delightful, and especially enjoy on Sundays when I'm taking a break from news-based podcasts and need to unwind. My question relates to these podcasts I've regularly listened to for the past five or six years. The format generally involves the host who raises a topic, then that week's guests who alter week by week, who are asked for their analysis of said topic. Forgive me, I'm over explaining. Anyway, (laughs) at the end of the show, it's always been quite in vogue for the host to thank the guests for coming and the guests without fail always say thank you for having me and never you're welcome. As someone who grew up being trained to say you're welcome to any expression of thanks, this tendency struck me as odd, though by no means offensive. (laughs) However, starting on October 25th, 2020, a new show I listened to had a guest who said, you're welcome. I've noticed this tendency five times or so in the days that have followed. As two professionals who deftly navigate the radio podcast environment, do you have any inside information on this? What the heck is going on? Capitalized with exclamations and question marks. (laughs) It might seem minor, but I'm not exaggerating when I say that having listened to news podcasts for years on a weekly basis, I've only heard you're welcome a handful of times. Any insights on this would be extremely interesting. And thanks so much for all your etiquette, insight, Greg.
0: Greg, thank you for writing in about this. <laughs> I'm hearing you say you're welcome somewhere in the distance right now. It is such an interesting thing. Dan and I actually, our inside scoop is that we we are in the position of having to say thank you for having me on your show. It was a pleasure to be here. And I will tell you, I would feel a little arrogant if I said you're welcome and I don't, I don't know. Maybe that, that suggests confidence in how I think of myself as, as someone being invited to speak in such spaces. But I prefer to say it's a pleasure or thank you so much for having me. It, it feels more humble to me when I'm on air. Dan, what do you do? I'm curious.
1: I'm thinking about it right now. My first thought was, no, I haven't noticed this. And Greg, thank you. You're our our man on the street. You're our investigative team right now. This is one of the things I love about this podcast is that there are so many (laughs) people noticing so many things. And this isn't something that I've got a particular line on. Lizzie and I are not aware of a, a public discussion in sort of inside publications about radio or anything like that about we, this exchange. we haven't seen
0: like a massive spike in the particular episodes where we address the words you're welcome and and using them and and how we hope people use them more no. <laughs> we haven't secretly infiltrated the entire world of audio content i wish we had
1: <laughs> and i would say this is something that i'm i'm completely invested in it's a piece of advice i give all the time i was doing a. Uh, an hour-long seminar earlier this week just about gratitude and the importance of gratitude. That was it. That was the sole topic for an hour. And in the the process of that, we also talked about how important it is to receive gratitude well, that if if expressing gratitude is important to people – having an audience for that is critically important. So receiving thanks, saying you're welcome, not always minimizing, deflecting, or denying thanks with a no problem, mm-hmm. it was nothing, it was no trouble, or don't worry about it, my least favorite. <laughs> no, I'm not worried about it. I'm trying to thank you for something. I'm, I'm doing one of the things that gives me the most pleasure in life. <laughs> like,
0: worry wasn't a factor here. Now I'm annoyed you brought it up. <laughs>
1: um, so having you're welcome, and I do think that it, it. some people feel like it like you do, Lizzie Post, like it's arrogant to say you're welcome. And I, I just in really, certain
0: circumstances, it, it, yes, in certain
1: <laughs> circumstances. And I think that you can do it. I think you can pull it off without it coming across that way. You're most welcome. It was such a pleasure to be here, receives the thanks and still makes the message or the emphasis that. It was your pleasure that you enjoyed it or even that you appreciated Mm -hmm. them having you. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you so much for having me would be a sort of a tone and a delivery that I think would let you both receive that thanks and not, oh, you're welcome. And and not have it come across with that arrogant tone that Mm -hmm. in a certain circumstance might might be a part of the, the equation.
0: Tone of voice definitely makes a big, big difference with it. But there are two things that I I think are at play here other than the, the idea of, of kind of the humble or the less arrogant tone to it. And that's that you're on air. And you're often pressed for time, and I, I don't know. Maybe for the podcasts, if they're not recorded live, um, and if they have editing and stuff, or if it's a pre-recorded radio show, um, maybe not such an issue. And you might, you may, maybe you get more your welcomes, and then you know your welcomes and thank you for having me. But you sometimes you've got someone in your ear, literally, or you're hearing the music for the end of the show coming up. And you're trying to get across exactly what Dan just said, that that intention really quickly. And I think that's where the just immediately returning with the thank you for having me or the it's my pleasure comes from as opposed to the you're welcome, which I think without the thank you after – with the return thank you is where it can feel – Only if the tone is there, but um, is where it can feel a little bit more arrogant or like you're not saying thank you for having me on the show. You know, this is a a little bit of a host-guest dance happening here, right? Like. Thank you for having this party. Thank you for coming to the party. You know, it's like both can't happen without the other. And so you want the mutual thank yous to be happening. And I think in an effort to get there, when people are pressed on time, they often skip the you're welcome part of it. For me, the it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me is like that's my go to at the end. Or I make sure at the start of the interview to say the thank you so much for having me and then close the interview with the it's my pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) And <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep going I'll keep ending it until they shut it off
1: <laughs> I was just thinking Greg, thank you so much for sending this question It was our pleasure to answer it
0: No, you're absolutely right, Dan <laughs> We actually do have to say Greg, thank you so much for this question We really appreciate having it on the show
1: A well-mannered group, I think You notice their good manners right away
0: Good manners make good first impressions And because your manners are showing all the time, they have a lot to do with how well people like you. This question is titled Christmas Card Follow Up. Hi, Lizzie and Dan, longtime listener in Americus, Georgia. Thanks so much for your advice about avoiding a joking tone about this challenging year in holiday cards. I have already created and received my personal holiday card with cheerful, but not joking messaging. However, your advice got me to thinking about a friend who lost a grandmother to COVID-19. I'd like to include a note expressing my condolences. If appropriate, what are your thoughts? Thanks, Lisa. What do you think, Dan? Do you, would you include the note in, in a holiday card or would you make them separate?
1: I would separate them. Me too. I'm so glad
0: that was your answer.
1: (laughs) Absolutely send the condolence card. The fact that this thought crossed your mind is such an opportunity. Absolutely do it. Um, Jot out a quick note. Send it to your friend in the mail. It will be so appreciated. It will really matter to them.
0: And I think it'll feel good to have them be separate and and be held separately. It does kind of create that space and, and keeps it sort of in its own zone, which is nice. Lisa, I know that was very short and simple, but you, you did provide us with a question that really does have a, a pretty clear etiquette answer. And we're happy to, sp- to spread the word. I'm sure that there are actually a lot of people who are having thoughts like this um, as they're preparing their holiday mailings. So thank you so much for giving us the question to answer.
1: Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to etiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are awesome etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
0: If you love Awesome Etiquette, or maybe even if you just like Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you for your support.
1: It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today we're hearing from a retired administrative assistant about the letter addressing question from episode 321 on addressing a couple with a suffix. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. As a retired executive secretary and administrative assistant who worked in Manhattan, this week's podcast with the question of how to address the Johnsons interested me unless a business card or website indicated otherwise. I would address the letter to. and then she includes the example below. The example reads like this. First line, Mr. James Johnson the third and... And then there is a blank line, and then at the start of the third line, we get Mrs. Susan Johnson. The fourth line, the Johnson Company. Fifth line, 123 Main Street. Sixth line, any town, USA 12345. Then we get a space, and on a new line down below, we get the salutation. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Johnson. And the Mr. and Mrs. are separated by an ampersand. Or, if they are well known to the writer, dear James and Susan. If Susan prefers the Ms. or Mix, then of course use that in lieu of Mrs. Then follow with the body of the letter. I don't think this classic business style has gone out of date, but you would be able to say definitively. Thanks for reading. Best regards, retired secretary.
0: Retired secretary, Dan and I read this and we definitely both agreed that we feel like we could learn a lot from you. So thank you so much for writing in. I will be honest, though, it, the the question made us double check and consult uh, with the fourth generation of posts just to see kind of their, their thoughts on the example given and, and what they would do. And the first thing that all of us sort of agreed upon was that you really, in business, try to, even when you're working with a couple, treat the people both as equals and as individuals. And on top of that, that it wouldn't matter whether you used either member of the couple first, so that you could either put Susan's name on, on a first line or have it come first, or you could put uh, James's name in the first position
1: in the example that Lizzie and I gave, we had included both names on the first line and had tried to treat them as individuals by using full names and courtesy titles on that first line and by not combining the names in any way. And Mm -hmm. we all ended up agreeing that it would be better to put them on separate lines, like separate individuals. It's their relationship within the business that's important here, not necessarily their marriage relationship. And if you were Splitting people between two lines and still acknowledging a marriage relationship like you would on a social invitation, you would take the second line and indent it a little bit. We're calling that a broken line essentially because it's intended to convey that they are a married couple on the same line. There's just not enough room for them there. Whereas in this case, we would have the two – Members of the married couple addressed at the start of the line really on two separate lines, even though they're married couples. In this case, it's their business relationship that you're acknowledging with a business communication.
0: The other thing we all discussed was the salutation and that they agreed you've got perfectly that you could do either Mr. and Mrs. Johnson or dear James and Susan or Susan and James, whichever whichever you prefer. But the one suggestion that they did have, and I'm not sure if we got this right, I I don't remember in our answer, but was to not do dear Mr. James Johnson III and
1: Mrs. Susan Johnson. And our idea there was that that would just be a little too much for a salutation. Yeah. The idea is that in the salutation, you're reducing it a little bit. You're trying to establish a slightly less formal introduction.
0: So I think between our two answers, we actually have something great. So this is another reason why we love having, having people write in because it does help us look back, examine, think harder. But the big takeaways for this are that you want to do the names on separate lines. You can use formal titles and suffixes in that letter's heading above the address, that either person's name may be listed first, and that in the salutation, it's okay to say either Mr. and Mrs. Johnson or James and Susan, whichever, whichever you prefer or kind of fits the, the nature of the relationship. And again, either name could come first.
1: Retired secretary, thank you so much for taking the time to send in an example and to share your experience with all of us.
0: And thank you for sending us all of your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. We love to hear from you. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And because that wonderful, wonderful holiday is coming up, even though none of us will be gathering for it. We are going to talk about setting the table tips. This is one of our classics. I feel like this is an annual. It's a must-do. It's some, You cannot have an etiquette podcast and not at least once a year talk about how to set the table plus i've been working on that entertaining chapter and it's like all i've been thinking about
1: (laughs) well it's funny because you've been writing the entertaining chapter and i've been furiously editing the website to get it ready for a big thanksgiving launch so we've both been spending (laughs) quite a bit of time thinking about setting tables Yes. And I still want everybody out there to please come take a look at the new emilypost.com on Thanksgiving. Take a tour. Bring your friends and family. Enjoy it the same way we do. But you won't need it.
0: Watch the table-setting video that we're going to have up of my mother and me.
1: <laughs> and know that it's all extra because you feel confident that you know how to set the table whether or not you refer to the Emily Post website. And... This all begins, for me, with my favorite slide in the Dining Etiquette deck, which just has the word forks superimposed over a family-style place setting. And the reason I love this slide so much is that I had a hard time keeping my right and left separate as I was growing up. I had a hard time learning my right and left. And people would always tell me, oh, this goes on the left and that goes on the right, and it meant nothing to me. It wasn't something that my brain could hold on to and remember. And I didn't really learn how to set a table consistently and well until I learned that if you could spell the word forks, you could remember that the fork comes first. That's on the left-hand side of the place setting, that the O in the word forks you can visualize as sitting right over your plate. And then I shrink up the R so that it's just down there as a little sub R, a lowercase R, but it reminds me to the right of the plate come the knives and the spoons in that order. So forks go on the left, plate in the middle, and then the knives and spoons on the right. just works it's so, so easy great.
0: it's just so easy it's such a such an easy visual that you can once you learn it you can't you can't forget it
1: you can't get it even, wrong
0: even Sonny's saying he knows it <laughs>
1: If you can remember to point the blade of the knife in towards yourself or in towards the center of the place setting, that's the last little detail. As far as spacing the flatware or the silverware around your plate, just make it a nice, even, symmetrical spacing. Think, uh, I sometimes call it the rule of inches. Try to give a little, about an inch of buffer between each item and then line them up so that they've got parallel lines and they all start about the same place. It's an aesthetic question at that point more than a question of getting out your ruler and making measurements. The other uh, question. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> otherwise, I'm failing miserably multiple times.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you're doing great, because I've seen your tables. I know you're doing great.
0: I know. I can do it when I go for it, when we set things up for, you know, taking photos and stuff, or I'm have, actually throwing a dinner party. Um, but but I I will say on a, on the day-to-day for a normal me sitting down on my coffee table, even though I do sometimes set my table, I do not break out that ruler every time. <laughs>
1: I won't tell. <laughs> so, the next tip that is sort of part of your contractual Obligation as an etiquette teacher is to mention B and D. And if you're not driving a car right now, I want to invite you to go ahead and do this with me. If you take your thumb and your pointer finger and you make a circle, (laughs) you take your other three fingers and put them together, and then you look down at your hands, you're probably looking at what looks like a lowercase B in your left hand and a lowercase D on your right hand. And the good news is that your bread plate will go on the left hand side of your place setting up above the silverware and your drink or water glass will go above your silverware on the right-hand side of the place setting. If you had a set of glasses for the table, maybe a wine glass, water glass, different things, the water glass closest to the center, because that's your sort of stable, always there thing. And then the rest of the glasses in the order that you're going to use them working towards the outside of the place setting. If you were Setting the table with more than one utensil of a certain kind, multiple forks, multiple spoons, anything like that, the same rule applies. You set them down in the same order that you would use them working from the outside of the place setting towards the center through successive courses with the items staying in the same places that we described using forks. So all forks on the left, knives and spoons on the right in that order.
0: But what's the one fork that goes on the right?
1: Maybe an oyster fork, or but we're going to call it a specialty utensil. <laughs> Can also ah, be included over on do- the right hand side.
0: Even though it's got tines and a handle, sure. Specialty utensil over on the right. <laughs> You know some other little extras that sometimes appear on the table this time of year are especially if you're you're dressing things up but you do always usually have your salt and pepper shakers um but sometimes you might do individual ones like in, individual little cellars of salt and and pepper for people um if you're going super fancy there might be a a butter dish with butter and a butter knife on it to be passed around you it's thanksgiving Who can forget the gravy? And so likely you're going to have a gravy boat and and often something that it might sit on. There's also the dessert silverware that we haven't talked about yet. And that can either be brought out later with dessert or it can be placed at the top of the place setting with the fork on the top with its handle pointing to the left, tines to the right, and the spoon with its bowl to the left and its handle to the right. So that almost like if you just slid them down into place – handles first. The handles would line up nicely with the table, and you'd have the fork on the left and the spoon on the right. Um, You can also just use one if you know that there's only going to be one. But traditionally, this is a dinner where there is pie and ice cream afterwards. And I would not want to deny anyone a spoon or a fork for either of those items.
1: (laughs) I've got to say, I love the addition of the dessert silver. It's It's a little thing. It's relatively easy to do, and it creates... A different look and feel it, it takes the meal from my perspective a little bit out of the ordinary which can be really nice
0: absolutely as you are all starting to think about your holiday plans and what you're going to be doing or maybe the fact that certain relatives won't be allowed to be coming to thanksgiving this year and therefore you get full control over what this table is going to look like i know there's a few of you out there who are dreaming and drooling over this Please send us photos. Show us your mock ups. Let us know what you end up doing for your Thanksgiving table this year. Remember that you can always reach us on our social media channels. On Instagram, we're at EmilyPostInst. Tag us in your table settings so that we can see your Thanksgiving table. Definitely tag Awesome Etiquette too so that we know that you are a listener. We would just love, love, love to get a little peek into your world over the holidays.
1: I'll second that sentiment, Cuz, and wish everyone the best of luck as you're making your plans. You may not care much about table manners now, but when you grow up to be me, then you'll care. But why? Why does it matter?
0: Let's imagine the family at dinner with
1: nobody minding his manners.
0: Not very pretty, is it?
1: We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Audrey.
0: Lizzie and Dan, I really wanted to give an etiquette salute to my grandmother. I was supposed to have a wedding in a local park this October, but due to COVID, we had to switch it to a Zoom ceremony. She was so supportive the whole way, even as others were downright complaining As the wedding events progressed, she went out of her way to make the event seem just as special as if it were in person. She bought a special bottle of wine to drink at my virtual bridal shower, cooked spaghetti for the virtual rehearsal dinner, and even had large backgrounds printed to hang behind her for each event. She was supposed to be our flower girl, and during the Zoom ceremony... Oh, I'm going to tear up. She brought out some rose petals and started sprinkling them around the screen. Her good humor and determination to make my big day as special in these strange times was so touching. And I know it will be something I remember every time I look back on the day.
1: Audrey. Oh,
0: that is beautiful. Go, Grandma.
1: Audrey, that is. That is really special. Thank you so much for sharing that with all of us.
0: Oh, and thank you all for listening.
1: And thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon.
0: (laughs) Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media.
1: You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute.
0: Please consider becoming a sustaining member. It truly helps our show by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It really helps our show ranking, which means more people find awesome etiquette, which means more people are thinking about being nice.
1: Our show was edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and and Bridget.